Genesis chapter 3, after the fall, told us, told women in particular, that in pain you shall bring forth children. Romans chapter 8 says the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. In Revelation chapter 12, we have uh, the, the dragon pursuing the woman, and the woman is getting ready to give birth to the child. She was pregnant, and she is crying out in Revelation 12 in the pains of birth, in the agony of bringing forth that child. Egypt is giving birth to the firstborn son of God, Israel. And as Israel goes out, Egypt is in pain and agony and is crying out as this Son of God is delivered into the world. Perhaps you've heard your wife say, or perhaps you as, 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 a, as a mom have said this at some point along the way, as the pregnancy comes to its conclusion, there is this desire as wonderful as the pregnancy may have been, what you want at that point is for this baby to be out. One way or another, I want this baby to be out of me. Exodus, as the name implies, is the very name Exodus given to this book, is the story of a coming out. It's the story of a delivery. Israel is called out by the Lord sent out by Pharaoh, kicked out, if you will, brought out, delivered out, and essentially what Israel is told from Pharaoh to Moses, get out. We've had enough of you in here. We now want you out. This baby is coming out. God wants the world to know about it. It is an old story, this story of being sent out when you start to think about how this resonates with other portions of the biblical story. Adam and Eve no more get into the world than they are cast out by God. When God calls Abram and Sarah and family, he calls them out of Ur of the Chaldeans. He no more than brings them in to the land of Israel when, as you will recall it, there's a famine in the land. They are forced to go down to Egypt. And this should sound kind of familiar to us because plagues come against Pharaoh, leading Pharaoh in Genesis chapter 12 to say to Abraham, after being afflicted with great plagues, now then, here is your wife, take her and go. And Pharaoh gave men orders concerning him, and they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. That's an exodus. It's just a smaller one. But it's the exact same thing that's taking place on a grander scale before us today. Rebecca struggles in childbirth because there are two nations in her womb that are struggling, and they want to get out. Jacob is sent out. Moses, earlier in the book of Exodus, is sent out. And now it will be the turn of the nation to be sent out. Not just one person, not just a family, but a nation to be sent out of Egypt. 
So the question, and, and I know we ask this all the time, but it's a completely proper question for us to ask, what does that have to do with us? What does it have to do with us that God is in the process of delivering out his people, the Israelites? Well, let me answer that question in the words of Jesus, and they will be familiar to you. In the words of Jesus, what this has to do with you is this statement. You must be born again. You have to be, is what Jesus says to Nicodemus. You have to come out. You have to be sent out of darkness and brought into light. You have to be delivered out of the dominion of Satan and the dominion of death and brought into the kingdom of light and life, the kingdom of the glorious Son. Jesus, if you recall that story in John 3, and of course we don't have time to read it and go back there, but if you recall the story, what Jesus is surprised about in the conversation with Nicodemus is that Nicodemus doesn't understand what he's talking about. How is it, Nicodemus, that you cannot process and comprehend this idea of being born again, this second birth that I'm telling you about? Essentially, what Jesus is saying is, I've been telling this story from the very beginning. I've given you birth story after birth story after birth story because it's necessary for people who have once come in experience the curse of death to be born again, to be delivered out of that death. They need this spiritual birth. And Jesus is amazed that Nicodemus, being a teacher of Israel, can't get it. He can't understand it. Regeneration is the technical term that is here because it's been going on since the beginning. So Israel's birth is the story of our birth. And as we look at what God is doing here, it helps us to understand what God either has done with us or is in process of doing with us and calls us perhaps to a similar response that we see here. Lauren and I, some of you know this, have been a, Lauren and I have been doing lots of brickwork, like brickwork that's on the tile here in front of us. We've been making pathways, and we, we're a really good team in doing brickwork around the house because I lay the bricks, as I say, like a drunken bricklayer. Uh, Lauren levels the bricks uh, because mine are all up and curvy, and uh, I, my words to her are embrace the undulations. Uh, but nevertheless, the other thing that happens is because we've had a lot of curves, we've got a lot of small pieces of brick that need to be cut out. And the way we do it is when the gap is there, Lauren will use a piece of cardboard and she'll cut out a template. And she'll take the template and she'll lay it over top of a brick or I'll lay it over top of a brick and trace it out and then I'll use the angle grinder and cut the brick. This is a template. It's a real thing that God is doing here, but it's a template. It's a blown up picture for you to take off and to see, oh, that's what's going on here. This is how God has affected their redemption the Israelites out of bondage to Egypt, and you and me out of our spiritual bondage as well. So here's what we got. I know I had eight applications for you last week. Seven. Seven today. That's going down. And I split the sermon up into two. I wasn't sure until Thursday whether or not I was going to do one sermon or two sermons. So seven, but with the applications this time woven in at the end of each one of these sections. Let me go through them. Seven outs if you want to keep track. First of all, Israel comes out through blood and death. 
Exodus in the passage that we read this morning, in the section that we read this morning, and in several passages in the New Testament, describe the death of the firstborn by the hand of the destroyer. In the New Testament passages, perhaps in your Bible, you will find that word capitalized, capital D, destroyer. That is a word better not capitalized, one would think. Death is afoot that night. Death is roaming throughout the land that night. However we might understand or attempt to understand what or who that destroyer is, whatever we might say, whether it be a created being or whether it be God himself, an angel or something in service to God, nevertheless, all of Scripture is saying that the destroyer is working directly on behest of God. God is not merely permitting the destroyer to do his work. The destroyer is working because God says, go destroy executing his will, the bringing of life to this precious firstborn child of God comes through death because it has to deal with the curse. For Israel to escape, the blood of the lamb has to be over top of that door. If it's not there, the destroyer is going to come in. Say what you will, do what you will. The blood's there, and you're safe. The blood's not there, and you're dead. Or at least the firstborn is dead. Even so, even with this representational blood being put over the lintel and the two door posts, even so, in chapter 13, God still says, I still want the firstborn. Got it? The blood is there, but God still says to the people, I still claim the firstborn for myself. And God requires a sacrifice to go on to redeem that firstborn, to protect his firstborn. You've got a sacrifice. Uh, Exodus 13, 15. For when Pharaoh stubbornly refused to let us go, the Lord killed all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both the firstborn of man and the firstborn of animals. Therefore, I sacrifice to the Lord all the males that first opened the womb, but all my firstborn sons I redeem. Even so, God says, I still, I still claim the firstborn to be mine. The Jews were to understand this symbolically and representationally, and God made it perfectly clear. He said, I'm going to spare the children. I'm going to spare your actual sons by giving you something as a substitute. You take the lamb, you take the goat. Do whatever, but use something as a substitute rather than your firstborn son. It was a sign. It was pointing. It was awaiting fulfillment. It was awaiting the reality that would take place later. For the Christian, of course, the reality to which this pointed is the blood, the death of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, who is the firstborn Son of God. Jesus Christ, who is, as John declared him to be, John the Baptist, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. There was no salvation 
apart from that blood being on the door. And when the blood was on the door, then the destroyer, instead of coming in, would pass over. The destroyer would see the blood on the door and pass by that house. There is no salvation for us. There is no coming out. There is no new birth for us unless it be through the death and the blood of Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. By faith in him, we are delivered, ransomed, purchased, brought out, born again. Secondly, out with a meal, out with the Seder. My Jewish friends, and I have a couple with whom I regularly converse throughout the week, were delighted that I was preaching on the Passover this week, and they were delighted to tell me all of their own personal stories about how they celebrate the Seder and how they gather friends together and anybody who doesn't have a place to go and what each part of the meal represented and how they remembered other family members celebrating the Seder together. It was beautiful to listen to them. This is an unusual meal. Seder means order. It's a special order that God has given for this particular meal to say, I'm the God who cares for you, and I'm the God who provides for you. In the midst of all of this chaotic destruction that's going on, I'm giving you a meal, albeit a special meal, albeit a meal that's supposed to be eaten in a particular way with a particular set of food. Nevertheless, I'm your God, I'm your provider, and through this, I am sparing you. Chapter 12, verse 26 and 27. And when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? You shall say, it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover. For he passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians, but spared our houses. And the people bowed their heads and worshiped. In the passage that we use today for the call to worship, Paul says, let us now since Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Let's keep the festival, not with the old leaven of malice and evil, but with the new leaven, new unleaven uh, of sincerity and truth. Christ has become the Passover lamb. Christ has become the bread of life for us. When we celebrate this meal together, which we'll clearly do in just a few minutes here, we celebrate that the firstborn Son of God died so that we might become the first fruits of the firstborn Son of God. Three, out with victory. The conflict with Pharaoh has been going on since the beginning of the book of Exodus. And what we see now and what we have seen throughout is that there can be no deliverance for the Israelites without the defeat, the destruction of Pharaoh. Exodus 12 and 13, 11 describing it about to happen, 12 and 13 with it actually happened and being memorialized, is the defeat of Pharaoh. It is a defeat of the enemies of God. It is a defeat of the gods of Egypt. 
And in this small section of Scripture, the almighty power of God is fully on display for us. 31 and 32 of chapter is remembering. We are remembering the death of the Lord Jesus Christ, a blood that was shed for us. And we are celebrating. We are celebrating a new life that has been secured for us through him. Let's pray together. Lord God, we thank you for the feast that is set before us both now and into all eternity. You the creator, are you the provider, are you the redeemer. May your name be glorified. May you be called great. Thank you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, for this meal set before us today. Sanctify it to us. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. On the night in which he was betrayed, our Lord Jesus Christ took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he gave it to his disciples, as I now ministering in his name give it to you. And he said, take and eat. This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. next day, John the Baptist saw him, Jesus, coming towards him. 